think about it, it's actually kind of ironic. A protest that listed among its concerns the economic supply chain wound up causing more problems for our economy than any sort of border-crossing vaccine rule ever has. For seven days, the Ambassador Bridge in Windsor was essentially shut down, causing massive economic repercussions on both sides of the Detroit River. Some protesters claimed it was all about the vaccine mandates. Others said it was COVID-19 restrictions in general, while some even said they wanted to replace the federal government. No matter why these people were actually there, their presence did cause some big problems. On this episode of the 519 Podcast, we look at the blockade in Windsor and we hear from people who were there, as well as the officials who succeeded in bringing it to an end. Here's your host, Craig Needles. When protesters started gathering near the Ambassador Bridge in Windsor, it didn't come as a surprise to many. Protests were happening in places all over the country. The biggest one was in Ottawa, in the downtown core, and that protest seemed to inspire others, including the one we saw in Windsor. But what happened there went beyond what was expected. I guess what we thought was going to happen was that there was going to be a partial blockade, which we were prepared to work with the demonstrators. That's Jason Belair, the deputy chief of police in Windsor. But it really morphed and it evolved into more than I think um, even what some of the participants of the demonstration thought it was going to be. So it went from a partial blockade to um, you know shutting down all the lanes. If it wasn't clear already, it would soon become obvious that a blockade near a major international border crossing would be a much different animal than a group of protesters blocking some streets in downtown Ottawa. There were concerns about who had jurisdiction and, much like in Ottawa, concerns about whether municipal police force had the necessary tools to deal with the issue. Here's Windsor Mayor Drew Dilkins. The setup that we have here is very unique in that you have an international border crossing and you have a provincial highway, but between the, the end of the provincial highway and the foot of the border crossing is almost four kilometers of municipal road. You know, you have OPP provincially that would police the 401. The federal government would have responsibility for international crossing. So once you actually touch the foot of the bridge and invoke a, a federal uh, law enforcement response, but that four kilometers in between is, a, is, is municipal responsibility. And there are very few municipalities who are in a position to provide the type of response that was required on their own. It's, it's a bit frustrating. A relatively small group of people can really have a major impact on our national economy, which is their national economy too. And so, you know, at the end of the day, I'm not entirely sure uh, what this was all about. It, it's purported to be about freedom and removing mandates, but what I saw on the ground here uh, was a lot more about you know lawlessness and disorder and more of like anti-government protests that you'd see at a G7 meeting as opposed to you know just worrying about vaccine mandates. So it, it certainly was an interesting situation. Clearly, they were well funded to be able to to stay out there for that length of time, uh, and it speaks to you know the need that we have as a nation to make sure that we are starting a process of healing after two years of of a difficult pandemic that we've gone through together. The blockade, whether the protesters knew it at the time or not, disrupted billions of dollars in international trade. It was an absurdly costly demonstration and one that's impact could be felt for years to come. Adele Loisel is the assistant news manager for Blackburn Media's Windsor operation, and she covered the Ambassador Bridge blockade from the beginning until the injunction that allowed the law enforcement parties to remove protesters from the scene. 
That last week of January, we had a rolling blockade that was taking place on Huron Church Road. That's our main arterial road in the west end of the city, and it leads directly to the Ambassador Bridge, which is the busiest border crossing between Canada and the U.S. Now, just to give you an idea, a quarter of our trade between Canada and the U.S. moves through the Ambassador Bridge. That week leading up to the occupation in Ottawa, we were experiencing this here. It annoyed a lot of business owners. They were glad to see them go the Thursday of that week before the occupation of Ottawa started. Well, up the highway they went, we figured we were in the clear, and then a week later, they came back. They just came down the road, seven or eight transport trucks, and stopped. So it effectively blocked the Ambassador Bridge. Traffic on Huron Church Road and all cross-border traffic to the Ambassador Bridge. And this went on for a week. The renewed protest wasn't like the one that had already left. It was part of a movement that gained steam as it moved across the country. It became much more elaborate than anything Windsor had ever seen. They had a kitchen set up outside, tents, it was a full kitchen, two transport trucks there and a lot of pickup trucks, all of them with flags, the F. Trudeau flags, the Canadian flag. I didn't see any swastikas and I didn't see any Confederate flags. I don't think that was part of the protest. A lot of misinformation, but these people felt they had nothing left to lose. They lost their jobs. I got the feeling some of them were, you know, if not on the edge of, had lost their homes. They were pretty desperate. One in particular, a healthcare worker who was fired because she refused to get the vaccine. This was a woman that was basically living in her car, and it was very, very cold out there that weekend. Minus eight, minus nine out there. She was basically saying that, you know, she felt that it was illegal that she got fired because of the mandate. She also felt that the lockdowns were unnecessary. And this was not a special case. Many of these protesters felt they were in similar positions, and this was the only way for them to get their voices heard. It was that sense of perceived desperation that led Deputy Chief Belair and others in the police service to worry about escalation. That's, I guess, one of the things about social media. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not a social media user myself, really, but, you know, it is the way people communicate. Um, you know, it's a primary form of communication now in modern society. And, uh, you know, a lot of these people were very vocal about they're willing to die. They're willing to get arrested. They're willing to do whatever it takes. Um, that puts our members uh, and the officers uh, that came here to help us, it puts them in a difficult position because nobody wants to be in a place where they have to use force against somebody who, um, you know, has publicly stated that, you know, at no cost will they relent. And uh, that is, uh, that's not something, you know, we want to deal with. And it did you know, add a lot of concern because, you know, one person seriously injured is one person too many in an event like this. The whole thing was growing out of control. The blockade resulted in the closure of the Canada-bound lanes of the Ambassador Bridge. Transport trucks with millions upon millions of dollars in goods that were supposed to cross into Canada on that bridge instead had to go to Port Huron, where truck backups stretched for kilometers. The situation was simply unsustainable economically, and Windsor Police needed help. Thankfully, we've got great relationships in Ontario with... Uh, Specifically, uh, the Ontario Provincial Police, the OPP, um, uh, responded immediately with an with a incredible amount of assistance, as did some other police services, London Police, Hamilton Police, Waterloo Regional Police, uh, Royal Canadian Mounted Police, uh, just to name a few. And they provided the resources that we needed to not just be prepared to use uh, force to remove anybody, but to be prepared and to have ourselves set up in an adequate way to ensure that we, we were engaged in a manner that heightened the probability 
we would resolve the whole scenario peacefully. The hope from law enforcement was always that this would reach a peaceful conclusion and the quicker the better. But the situation was unpredictable. Police were trying to convince people who had no intention of leaving to go home. It was a delicate situation and one that could have had many different outcomes. Adele Loisel was on the scene on Saturday morning after the court injunction to clear the area was issued. It was tense, especially when police started to move in. And later that morning, we saw the police form a line across the entrance of the Ambassador Bridge and then along the east side of College Avenue, which is the first major intersection there if you're coming off the bridge. And very, very slowly they were moving up. They started to become more tense at that time. And we started to see people yell at the police. They were up there with the bullhorns. The horns were honking. And remember, we had two transport trucks and that was loud enough. I can't imagine what the folks in Ottawa were dealing with where they had hundreds of trucks down there right next to their homes. Be better! We demand you to be better for us! We demand you to protect Our liaison officers uh, were in the area negotiating 24 hours a day with these protesters um, to try and, um, you know, meet them halfway, try and negotiate, you know, a relocation for the protest, trying to get them off the road. And really, uh, you know, use of force in Canada is really our last resort. I'll ask you this one question. I'm going to ask this one question. If a leader had the truth, if your prime minister and your leader had the truth, if he knew the truth, he would come down here and he would prove all of us naysayers wrong. He would prove it. But he hasn't come here and he hasn't come out of his office in Ottawa to prove it wrong. He's proved nothing. Eventually, the police were able to get the protesters to go home and those that refused were arrested. 46 were arrested in total, and 90 charges were laid. Ending the blockade was a major success for the police services involved in Windsor as a whole, as it was done without the use of any violence. It could have ended up really bad, I think. Um, and in some scenarios, in some other cities, it, it, it has or it will. And uh, I consider us lucky, but I do attribute it to the absolute professionalism and the uh, of the officers who were not only on the ground dealing with it, but the the command staff who were overseeing them, making the decisions in real time. Although the situation appeared to be over, the impact of the blockade may have just begun. As mentioned earlier, the Detroit-Windsor crossing sees about a quarter of the trade between Canada and the U.S. The economic impacts were immediate and could be felt for some time. This is economist Mike Moffat. Well, there's there's both short-term and long-term economic consequences. Parts of a car can cross a border up to seven times between the United States and Canada. So you might have uh, a company building a, a transmission uh, and they can't, you know, they can't get the little screws or whatever they need uh, to go into that transmission. Um, so, you know, you had parts plants get hit both ways. That first of all, uh, they can't get the finished cars across the border, so the assemblers aren't buying parts. 
And then secondly, even if the assemblers are buying uh, the parts from the manufacturers, those parts manufacturers can't get all of those sort of raw inputs that they need. So it is a big supply chain. And, you know, economically, it affects everything from the, the auto assemblers to the, you know, to the coffee shops and the lunch wagons that uh, uh, serve the workers. So, you know, this has large economic consequences throughout the community. There was a huge holdup in day-to-day operations. And while some of those losses can be recovered, it still leaves lingering questions about Canada's long-term reliability when it comes to cross-border trade. Let's say, take automakers uh, for an example. You know, when they're deciding where to produce a new model, uh, you know, they're doing their whole site selection thing and going, okay, do we do we want to put this uh, in Windsor or Oshawa or do we want to put it in Michigan and Tennessee? You know, they consider a lot of different factors. Uh, they consider the price of labor. Uh, they consider, you know, taxes, uh, those sorts of things. But one of the big questions they're going to have is, you know, are we going to be able to get our products uh, to market? We've already seen American politicians use this closure as, as a way of saying to companies, well, well, look, you know, you can't you, you can't trust uh, being able to get your goods to market if you put your factory in Canada. So why don't you put it in, in Michigan or, or Alabama? And I think that's the real risk for us, that it could increase buy American sentiment or produce American sentiment because we're no longer seen as a traded uh, trusted trading partner. The Americans have been looking for excuses to promote sort of buy American, produce American. And now, you know, we've given them this uh, this angle. I think the, the federal government and as well as the province need to come up with an action plan to, to show uh, American companies and to show international investors, hey, if, if these guys tried to try try to try this again, you know, here are the five or seven things we're going to do to make sure it either doesn't happen or is dealt with quickly. So we need to send a strong signal that, you know, what happened before cannot happen again. And we're going to put a plan in place to ensure it doesn't happen again. As for Windsor itself, diffusing the situation at the Ambassador Bridge turned out to be a major expense, according to Mayor Dilkins. Uh, those bills will come over the coming months, I would think, and we'll be in a better situation to be able to identify what the actual economic cost was. Uh, I can tell you just the Jersey barriers, we don't have, like, they needed like 1,100 Jersey barriers. We don't have those in Essex County. So they had to be trucked in uh, and then installed and then now moved around and, and taken away in some cases. Well, that was about a million, you know, almost $1.3 million just for that rental of those Jersey barriers. And so uh, it, it's extremely expensive. You can't have this many officers here staying here, eating and keeping uh, paying overtime and things like that. You can't have that kind of support here without seeing a huge bill. And we know that bill is coming, uh, which is why we have said to the federal government that we need your support because the response provided here was really uh, in our nation's interest, not a, a normal city of Windsor issue. What will deter these sort of extreme protests in the future may depend on what the future holds for the people who are at this protest at the Ambassador Bridge. I think one of the things that could possibly inform how seriously we take this as a community or as a country is um, what do the sentences look like when these individuals who've been charged, uh, should they get convicted, um, when they go to court and, and they're sentenced. And I think that will inform how serious our uh, government takes it. The other question, how will blockades like this be avoided in the future? What rules will be enforced to ensure it doesn't happen again? I guess it really comes down to, um, you know, we'll see in the next 12 months or 24 months, you know, what what 
does our local Canadian public want from their police service in dealing with some of these events and, and um, how far is too far with some of these political demonstrations. Um, and, um, you know, do people, do people want to see a change in either legislation or enforcement? But um, I think it's all great for dialogue. Um, I just think that, you know, it's important for people to remember that the police, we don't make the rules, you know, we go and we enforce them and we facilitate what has been provided to us on the legislative platform at, at multiple levels. And, um, you know, to put it simply, you know, we, we just try to go out and do our job. You know, it's a real moment, I think, in our society to look in the mirror and decide what we want to be as Canadians and, and, and how we're going to define our individual freedoms uh, from the broad interpretations of the charter. So, you know, for me, I would just thank uh, I would just thank all the people in the public that, you know, that reached out and thanked our officers. This has been a time of unprecedented social unrest in Canada and the cumulative societal frustrations were a ticking time bomb since the very first COVID rules were brought in in March of 2020. But there are more ways to air your frustrations in occupying infrastructure that's crucial to our international trade and economy. There have to be other options, because if you actually believe what you're protesting against is damaging the economy, blocking a gateway like the Ambassador Bridge causes far more problems than the one you claim to be trying to solve. This episode of the 519 Podcast was produced by Haley Chang, Craig Needles, and Patrick Magermans. Remember, you can subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. The 519 Podcast is a presentation of Blackburn Media.